I just want to bring up the image of the wheel. The wheel is a very important symbol in this tradition. Something that turns, that turns well, that turns easily, and that helps us move forward. The first spoke in that wheel in this Eightfold Path is right view, having the view of the path. Right view means that we know that there is a way forward. Understanding the way. If you don't know how to get to the center, how will you come and listen to the teaching? You don't even have to come here. You just have to know how to open the door to your heart. To have right view of the path is difficult when you're in a life situation Supposing you get a diagnosis that you have cancer and you have one year left, it would be very difficult immediately to bring up a sense of patience with that. I recently attended the death of a very dear friend, Malini Wirasurya. She was told six years ago that she had breast cancer and she would need chemo and she refused. She decided to just take the best quality of life and live with it and to spend whatever time she had left on retreat. She was an ordinary laywoman, not a nun, dressed very simply, not married, and she spent the next six years practicing Dhamma, just dedicating herself to the practice. Meditating diligently every day, getting up early, doing her yoga, practicing meditation, developing her mind, letting go, and bringing up gratitude, patience with all conditions, and generosity. She and her sister gave dana to the monks in three different temples, to Tisarana and to the hermitage. And they brought so much joy with them. Practicing unselfishness. To have cancer and not complain and observe your body deteriorating is not an easy thing. But if you have an understanding of this teaching about impermanence, is there anyone in this room who's going to live forever? No. How come the whole world is circling as if we're going to go on forever. Nobody teaches us in school to contemplate death. But in monastic life, we are taught to contemplate impermanence, suffering and not-self all the time, every day. The power of that is that somebody like Malini could become so at peace that she became a pillar of peace for everyone in our community. She died on Monday morning. There were more than 500 people at her funeral on Wednesday night. Everyone came rushing. Everyone loved her. Everyone admired her. When she found out that the cancer had spread to her brain and she told me what was happening. I said, are you afraid? She said, no, 
There was no fear there. There was a fearlessness. There was the ability to be patient with these conditions of deterioration. This is what I myself have undertaken in my life, to become totally patient. And with all the restrictions that I have in my training, I'm helpless. I have to practice diligently and be worthy of receiving offerings from people. So that means always being aware of mind states and practicing that noble patience that the Buddha recommended. I watched Malini do this in the normal householder life. She practiced fearlessness even in fearful conditions. What an example. And I mentioned this tonight simply because many times I feel like speaking as a nun, people think that I'm encouraging you to shave your heads and wear a robe. You can become enlightened. You can live a life of waking up exactly where you are in your life as it is by being so patient with these conditions, by putting the vehicle of your body and your mind in the right gear, stopping and being aware and bringing up gratitude. Gratitude, patience. Where there's impatience, where there's fear, bring up fearlessness. Where there's hatefulness and aversion to what's going on, bring up gratitude and and loving kindness, forgiveness. Where there's laziness, bring up right effort. Where there's greed, bring up renunciation and letting go. Instead of thinking about ourselves, people don't have food to eat. And we're worried about what kind of car we have or how hard it is to get to work every day because we have to sit on a bus and, and go through traffic. Just think about living in a peaceful country, living in a country where we have health care. You don't have to pay for doctors, medicine. Look what's going on next door, south of the border. And we have a train system. (laughs) A really good one. I just had to get on a train in Ottawa and then presto, I arrived in Toronto. Amazing. We have so much to be grateful for. When you're sick, it's easy to be overwhelmed by our sickness. But there is always something that we can be grateful for. And if we can bring up gratitude, then we have already started this noble vehicle. The most important thing that we can die to is not the body. The most important death that we can really experience is the death of anger, the death of our fear, the death of our hatred, the death of our disappointment, the death of our wanting mind, to watch all that delusion in us die.
that starts with just being present right now. You feel bored or you feel tired or you don't like yourself. You're not happy with the way your body is breaking down, you're getting old, your hair's falling out, your teeth don't work. <laughs> you, you can't remember things. You have white hair instead of black hair. I remember when my father was in his 80s, he stopped dyeing his hair. Because <laughs> up to the age of 83, he still dyed his hair. <laughs> Sense of ego is to look young. We want this. This is not what we are. But we believe somehow that we can live forever, look young forever, be still want to be attractive. For what? Sex at 83? I don't know. <laughs> How much longer do we want to gratify the physical senses? This is the time. It's not only in old age that we should worry about our spiritual evolution. It's as fast as we can. Because we won't get pleasure anymore from bodily experience, even from mental experience, even from having blissful mind states. That's not going to free us from having blissful mind states and attaching to them. But what is liberating is to be angry and then die to our anger. Because we see that we are not that anger. And we can let it go as soon as it arises. We just let it go. Knowing it's just a thought. It's a condition in the mind. That's not what we are. We observe the body contract, condense, or heat up, or blow up. And we cool it. We observe. We feel. We notice. And we let it go. Like the train. It comes. We get excited. <gasps> There's the train again. Is she going to keep talking? (laughs) And we stop and we listen and we let it go. And there is peace. The death of anger, the death of fear, the death of holding things. The death of the body itself is not peace. The death of the body doesn't liberate us. But we have to die before we die. And that's by planting the seeds of this teaching in our hearts moment by moment, by being aware and awake and seeing where does the suffering begin, where does it originate, not blaming any condition, not even blaming the anger in our hearts. Just let it go and see through those conditions to the ending of every condition by being aware of the ending. Understanding the anger, it will cease. If we bite it, it will govern us. It will drive us. It will dilute us again. It will make us suffer. So we get right back into the wheel. But the wheel of Dhamma is a different wheel. It's one that brings us to the center point. So we're not turning on the external. The center of the wheel 
doesn't spin. The center of the wheel is empty. It's only the rim that spins. When we're not in the vehicle of awareness, we're at the rim and we're spinning and suffering. And when we're at the center, we stop. We can be silent. Then all that movement in the mind, all the the resistance, the defending, the protecting, the fear, the grief, the thrashing, stop. And we enter the stream, the stream, the river of truth. And we are bathed. It's like a baptism. That baptism comes through sometimes fire. It really does. Sometimes it takes an illness to wake us up. It takes a loss, a separation, a crisis to jolt us and make us realize we haven't got much time. Let's practice now. Let's develop this ability to see things as they really are and not be deluded anymore feeding our senses and dressing up this body and trying to prop it up to fill our minds with information and experiences, going on exotic journeys and showing our possessions to everyone. You want to see the latest computer, latest iPod, latest... There's new gadgets, I don't even know what they are. (laughs) But we're only happy for a few minutes. And then we see somebody with a newer object. (laughs) And we want that. We're not grateful. To be able to practice contentment with what we have, that's the arising of the path. Recently I heard about a company that produces drywall. New houses have been condemned. People bought them and couldn't live in them because they became so sick from toxic products used in the drywall. So right livelihood is very important. Does your company practice ethical ways of working in the world? Are values compromised for profit? Just getting the most money out of people. I wonder if the workers realize what some of their bosses do with their labor, produce things that are of inferior quality or even toxic. So don't work in something that doesn't conduce to peace. If you're retired, what are you doing with your retirement? Are you getting tired of being retired? Or are you learning how to reach out and help other people and be generous with your life instead of thinking only about what you can get, how you can entertain yourself? And then, of course, meditation practice. It's a very important ingredient in waking up. Not just practicing for an hour in a week, but every single day. Not just practicing in a sitting posture with perfect conditions. No noise, no breathers, no air conditioning, complete perfect silence. 
Actually, the only time we really know how our meditation practice is doing is when we're challenged. We do need to find good conditions to help settle the mind so that when we go back into the world, in the very noisy world, we can still keep bringing up peace in the mind. Keep reminding ourselves. Reminding. It's like retreading your mindfulness and then drive your vehicle back into your busy, conflicted, complex lives and bring simplicity into that. Bring patience into that complex. Rather than saying, I can't stand Toronto. i got to go live in a quiet town. The noise is in here. I know it's out there. No, it's inside of us. But it's, no, the conditions begin here. It's his, no. That's the blaming. We want to blame conditions. If we take responsibility for our minds, then we can respond with loving kindness and compassion. And that will help us bring peace to each other. That's enough for this evening. Thank you for your attention.